So I need everyone to do this for me, um, everyone back home too. If you could all take your left hand and make a fist. My family right now are back home rolling their eyes. Go ahead and take your left hand, make a fist because they know what's coming. I didn't know about this until last week. Actually, the world didn't know about what I'm about to show you ever until last week, maybe a week and a half. But this is, this is something so monumental that it's not what I'm about to show you. Are we still doing it at home? Keep it up. Okay. Take your other hand. Okay. Now go ahead and go like this. So it looks like this. Now go like this. You know what that is? No, it's not turkey. Well, good guess. This is a brand new sign language that never was on earth until a week and a half ago. This is COVID-19. Now you're like, <laughs> COVID-19, they did not, I mean, outside of like signing the actual letters, they did not have something to sign it. But when that all of a sudden the, uh, the pre-pandemic reality of COVID surfacing came, they, uh, within the sign language, the ASL community, they needed to have something to be able to sign COVID-19. And so this is COVID-19 because this is what it, what it looks like under a microscope. What we saw, not only in sign languages, of inventing a sign word for something that we didn't have the resources to be able to explain properly is what the rest of the world and the rest of us in this room and the rest of us at home are all going through with regard to we're, we really weren't ready for this. This kind of blindsided us and it gave us fear. And the thing that's, that's crazy about fear is that fear is, like, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's an unpleasant emotion caused by belief something is dangerous and likely to cause pain or suffering. And, the, and the, this is the, the thing about fear is that everyone, whether you're a Christian or not, you could be a, a, like a hardcore, like professional varsity level atheist, or you could be like, I've been in church every day of my life, Christian, whatever, you're going to suffer and you're going to experience things that actually trigger Boom, fear. What I'm about to tell you is this, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the best resources to do this with fear, to be able to walk through it without freaking out. As human beings, every single one of us have a tendency to freak out. And right now, you might be like, well, see, I am so not the freak outer. I am like totally calm. I'm like perfectly calm. And the reality is, no, you're not. Because you're freaking out about other stuff. You might be freaking out about the fact that, that right now your, your financial situation is in jeopardy. Your work situation is in jeopardy. Your school situation is in jeopardy. That's causing zero fear for most of you high schoolers, but that's still, you don't mind. But fear is something where it's like all of a sudden, and, and you may not show it by like, you know, booking it on over to Jewel and getting like eight aisles of toilet paper. But what you do, will do is this. All of a sudden you find yourself a little bit more irritable with the people in your house, you find yourself a little bit quicker to get triggered, to be, to be upset and frustrated. Fear shows up in weird ways. You might find yourself just like totally retreating from, from connection with other people because you just can't handle it. Honestly, the way that fear shows up and how we freak out as a result of it is as across the board as anything else. However, as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, I'm telling you this morning, you today have the best resources to be able to manage fear without freaking out, to actually walk through it without freaking out. 
And, and when I, yesterday, I mean, this past week, when we realized that everything was happening and we, we were like, we need to fit, we can't just go business as usual with our services. We can't just go business as usual with what we're going to be like, like learning about. And so we said, okay, let's go and front load the, the series to next week of where you take a break from our series and let's talk about what we're all talking about, which is fear and the panic that is setting in. And, I, and so I'm like, okay, we need to come up with a sermon. It's Saturday. So like, Lord, what, where, where should we go with this? And the great thing is, is that the Bible is full of that. I mean, from the beginning to the end, you have human beings reacting and responding to the realities around them with fear. Some of them freak out. Some of them don't. But, but it's a human condition. And, and as I was just praying, Lord, give me some insight on where, where I should go in Scripture. Of the plentiful places to go, giving us the resources at our disposal. God led me to something, uh, to a passage that every single one of you know. In fact, you don't even have to be a Christian, and you know this. You don't even have to have been in church for ages and you know this passage. It's Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is the passage written by David. It's like when, when reacting to his own fear and his own panic, he responds with art and responds by dropping lyrics into understanding what does it mean to be someone who's following the one true God in the midst of this crazy, crazy situation. And so I'm going to go ahead and read this, but I'd like us to all read this together. And those of us at home, if you could read this along with us as well. And so all of us in this room, we're going to read Psalm 23 together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I like nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For thousands upon thousands of years, that ancient poem, that ancient song lyrics set of lyrics, have actually brought comfort to people in pandemics, in plagues, and social unrest. It's amazing how something so, so many thousands of years old can still be something that speaks into what we're going through. And so what I want to do is unpack, not the whole thing, just like one small little bit of it, because as I was like looking over it, I'm like, whoa, like this one part of it, this is so, so significant. Check it out. It starts this way. Even though I walk through the valley, even though I walk through the valley, one of the things about valleys is that, like, basically, a valley was not always a valley, right? I'm going to go ahead and turn this just a little bit for you guys over here. A valley was not always, I'm sorry, Jake, you still don't see it. Um, a valley was not always a valley. Like, a valley, you know, became a valley, but it was, it became a valley after, like, a long time of, like, water rushing through it. Like, it was all, like, one flat surface at one point. But all of a sudden, you know, life just happens, and it just, you know, becomes this, this, really, really crazy valley. And it's something where, if I can spell, it's something that when David is talking about this, even though I walk through the what? He's talking about a reality of, I don't know how I got here, but I wasn't always here. I used to be on the surface. Like, I, it used to be where I could see everything, but now I'm in a place where I can't even see how, what, what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know what's going to happen next month. Honestly, I don't know what's going to happen to the end of this day. I am in the what? The valley. I'm in the valley. And because I'm in the valley, I can't see everything. This is the reality of going down 
deeper and deeper. I, I'm, I'm not winning here. I'm failing. I'm not getting higher up get to the mountaintop. I'm actually going deeper and deeper into whatever it is that I'm going through. The description of the valley is a season, a season of it shouldn't be this way. Like, I hate that it's this way. If you're in elementary school, you know what this is like. I remember being in elementary school and just like I, I hated sometimes the way that, that, that school made me feel. Like I, I, I always felt nervous or, or I felt like I was going to, I, I worried as an as a elementary school kid that, that I was going to fail. I, I was worried about my parents. Um, my, my friends were all getting divorced and I was worried my parents were going to get a divorce. I mean, honestly, fear, you know, Valley, you could be at the bottom of this looking up going, I just don't know. I hate this. I don't like it. It's not good. But it gets worse because he's not just saying that it's a valley. He describes it. He gives giving even more description. What does he say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, that's fantastic. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so the, the crazy thing here is that we, we, it's not just a valley. It's a valley of dun, 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 death. Oh, actually, no, it's not. It's not a valley of death. It's a valley of what? Oh, that's better, right? Because I'm not dead yet. No, it's not. Because you're still breathing, you can still freak out. And that's what shadows do. Shadows actually are not the actual thing. The actual thing has not hit you yet. You're still anticipating it coming because you're in the shadow of it. Is it huge? Is it bad? Is it, is it I don't know. The shadow of death. And this is the crazy thing with death. Death, we fear death. And in, and in, and in COVID-19, we're fearing possibly the death of loved ones. Some of you might be worrying about yourselves. But it's not just the end of life. Death is the end, though. It, there's the death of life. There's the death of relationship. There's the death of opportunity. You may have done something that's barricaded your, your, the, the, maybe the happiness that you have for years to come. And, and you're sitting in that. The death of a career. The death of a chance. Right now, you might be living out that in the valley of the shadow of death. And it hasn't even hit you. But, you're, but what ends up happening when something hasn't hit you yet, but you've got, you're in the shadow of it, you have a reaction. And the reaction is panic. That's where panic comes from. It's like, it's not here yet. It's not here, but, but I don't know if I'm ready for it. I don't know what to do. That's panic. And panic happens when we are in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, now, here's the good news. The, the good news is that, that the author, David, is not trying to freak us out. He's not trying to make us panic even more. He's just actually, let's say, let's be honest here, we can embrace this. But what he's doing is, that's so phenomenally awesome is this. He's actually saying that in the midst of this, um, this is not the end of the story. Like, like, you can say, right now, my career is in the valley of the shadow of death. Right now, I'm in a relationship or a lack of a relationship, and I feel like I'm down here looking up. I can't even see the sky because the shadow is all over me. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. But the cool thing is this. You could say, I don't like this. I don't want to be here. I wish I wasn't. But I can also say it's not that odd. It's not that odd that I'm afraid. It's not that odd that I'm here. You know why I can say it's not that odd? The Bible tells you. It's clear as day. It's not that odd because the sentence starts with even. It's not odd at all. Even. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, that means this. You're going through something, and it's not that bizarre. That you should, you, if you're afraid right now, that is perfectly normal. What separates you from someone who doesn't have the hope of a relationship with God 
is recognizing the even. That, this, that, the, that the scripture is letting us know this happens. It happens. It's there. The first resource you have if you're a follower of Jesus in this time is this. I'm not blindsided by my fear. I am not blindsided because I know even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's promised. I mean, it, it's going to happen. Um, if you're in elementary school, if you could just raise your hand. You're in elementary school, like up, let's say, fifth grade or lower. Do you guys know what blindsided means? Anyone? No, not really. Okay. Jake, can you come here? All right. This is what blindsided means. Okay. All right. Jake is going to be... Come on over here, man. Go ahead. Jake, everyone give it up for Jake. Jake is the valley of the shadow of death, okay? And I am us, okay? So, Jake, what I want... You come on over here. Are you familiar with, um, with hockey? Little, yeah, me too. I don't know, like, nothing about it, except for they check people in hockey, right? And what does check mean? Like, I'm checking on my friend? No. It means I take my, fr- my friend and boom, right, I check him. And so that's, that's kind of, and what, what, what's the worst thing is if you've ever been checked by someone and you weren't anticipating it, it looks something like this. All right, I'm going to go ahead and turn over here, and I want you, the valley of the shadow of death, I want you to go ahead and check me good and hard. Go ahead. Thanks, Jake. The valley of the shadow of death has been working out. Okay. Now, I'm not, I don't know, I don't see when he's coming, I don't know what's happening. And that's what ends up happening with us. Oftentimes what ends up happening with us as human beings, not Christian or non-Christian, as human beings, is that we are what? Blindsided. We're blindsided. We didn't see it coming. It's like, and so when the valley of the shadow of death hits us, and it will, all of a sudden, we are taken off our guard, right? The Christian response is this. Come at me, bro. Don't. But <laughs> the Christian response is, the valley of the shadow of death is going to hit me. It's not going to be comfortable. It might rattle me. It's going to be painful. It will. It's not like, oh, I'm a Christian. Nothing hurts. It'll hurt, but I'll be ready for it. I won't be blindsided by it. When the pain is more than I think I could take, I will already have known I am living in a world that promises that. Thank you, Jake. Give it up for Jake one more time. Oh, hey, Jake, Jake, Jake. There you go. Now, here's the thing. One of the things that we have to recognize about this valley of shadow of death and that I'm not blindsided by my fear is this, is that the very thing that we fear most, suffering and death, is something that, again, as Christians, we're not blindsided by it because we don't follow a faith that says we're not going to suffer. We're not going to contract the disease. We're not going to die. Our relationships never implode. A lot of times people look in times like this at suffering and just say, I just... I don't know if I could believe in God. How could a good God allow suffering? I love it how um, Andy Stanley put it one time. He said this, suffering doesn't disprove God. Suffering just disproves the kind of God that doesn't allow suffering. Which God does that? Not ours. He promised it. Jesus promised it. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. You may be right here, 
But the reality is, is that I have overcome the world. Which brings us not only to the reality of what we have right there, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we get to the next place, which says, I will fear no evil. For why? You with me. You are with me. And the, the greatest thing that we have in this is the fact that the fact that we are not alone is that we have perfect love. Scripture says that the perfect love casts out fear. And, and honestly, every human being, when we find ourselves down here in this place right here, we're desperate and we're panicking because we feel disconnected from hope. That's why if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the best news for you. Because right now, you feel disconnected from hope, and you're like just scrambling at in insecurity. I don't know what it can make me feel better. And it might not be COVID-19. It might be something radically different. But honestly, this comes down to your most primal and most primary need, which is hope and connection that you are not alone. And, that, and that's, that's honestly it, that you're not alone in, the, in your fear. You're not all by yourself. Not only if Christians understand we're not blindsided by fear, we, we expect suffering to happen, but on top of that, I don't have to be alone in my fear. And this is something that we try to compensate with relationships. Like if I've got a girlfriend, a boyfriend, or a husband, or a wife, or if I've got a good job, or if I've got a good friend group, or whatever, I'll feel connected and I'll be able to get through this. I'm not alone in my fear, and that's true to the extent that those people are perfect and they're not. And what ends up happening is, is we have this, this hunger for something that only God can provide. Many of you have seen this before, but it's like we've got us over on one side of this, like, this massive valley. And we, and we have God on the other. And we have the reality of death all throughout our life. And we feel disconnected from God. And we want to have a connection with God. We want to know that, that he's with us. And we kind of like paint this picture of God as being like, you know what? I know, I know what's going to get me from this point to this point. What it is, it's going to be just like a bunch of like, like good like works, and that's going to be do it. That's going to do it. Like if I'm good, if I'm not as bad as my neighbor who's seriously messed up, I'm not going to get COVID-19. God's going to like pass over my house. He's going to say, hmm, Errol's so good. Let's get Tony. No. Good works. Scripture says that, that we were not saved by anything we could do. It's a gift from God. And so when we look at that, we recognize that it's not good works, but because God didn't want us to be set on this side of that canyon, this side of that valley of death, God did what only, only he could do, which is to pay for our sins, the wrongs that we do, to assure us that even death itself would not separate us from God. And so Jesus destroyed suffering by suffering. Jesus destroyed death by death. And God comes and he cancels out our work and he gives us his work. That, we, that he is the bridge to God. It's not our good works. It's not, it's not if we've taken all the right safety precautions or anything else. And the greatest thing about this is that all of a sudden, we are no longer alone. We're not alone in our fear because we now have a connection with God. And that is massive because what that does is it cancels out death's sting. It's like death is, like, it's, death is bad. Nobody wants to die. But all of a sudden, I'm not, I'm not living in fear of my death. Not anymore. Because he's like with me. And, and the greatest thing about that is that that can go into anything I'm going through. One of the things that um, I remember just really, really struggling with for about 20 years, it's been a struggle. It, it was a little bit of a struggle in junior high, a little bit struggle in high school, but it got worse when I got into my adult years. And, and what ended up happening was I ended up having these just crazy, crazy panic attacks. And when you're panicking, when anxiety hits, 
I know a lot of us struggle with it. You feel all alone. I mean, it's just like, it is the worst. There's nothing and nothing that anyone could say that's going to make you feel better. It's, it's just awful. And what ends up happening is that you try to figure out ways to uh, trick yourself into not having a panic attack. Like, if I just do this trick, it's going to snap me out. I'm not going to get triggered and blah, 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 all that type of stuff, which is great until it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden you're panicking even more because you realize how out of control you are and how desperately, desperately alone you feel. And you want to know the weird thing? I've told you this before as a church, but some of you maybe not have heard it. I didn't have any panic attacks outside of this building. Like for me, my panic attacks were doing this. I love preaching God's word. I love preaching the gospel. There's few things I love more than that, for real. The very thing I felt like God put me on planet Earth to do, I couldn't do. I'm sitting backstage. Anxiety just surfaces up, and I'm panicking, and I'm just like thinking in my head, if I just drove away, like would they fire me? And if they fired me, would I, would I be able to provide for my family? And my brain just starts reeling out of control and gets worse and worse and worse. And I just go, I can't do it. I can't do it. Dear God, please just have Carlos sing another song. <laughs> and he doesn't. Total jerk. <laughs> and I'm back there. I'm just, just flipping out. I mean, it is the worst. And the thing that, that, that makes it even, even more difficult is I go, God, I'm doing what you want me to do. I mean, if good works gets me peace with you, this should be it. God's not taking it away, and I'm just like sitting back there, and I'm just absolutely freaking out until one day. This was like so cool. One day, all of a sudden, I realize I need to look at this differently. I'm like, and I'm just, again, backstage, just absolutely freaking out. And, and I'm like, God, I need you to help me out. Help me see this in a way that I'm not seeing it because I don't, I don't know what to do. Feel so alone. I can't tell people about this. If you've ever had panic attacks or anxiety, trying to tell someone you love about it so that they'll understand is the most dumb thing you could do. Hey, I can't control my brain. Really? Well, maybe you should try controlling it. <laughs> Thanks. I'm backstage, and I'm like, God, just help me see this differently. Let me see this through your eyes, because right now, I am as low as I can get, and I can't get out of this, and I can't, I can't keep doing this. And I felt like God was encouraging me just to see things through his lens by, like, just thinking about just me backstage praying and desperately to him. And I said, okay, Errol, just go ahead and go up into the sky and look down on Manuka. There's a whole bunch of people praying to me right now. Go up even higher. You can see all of Illinois. You can see all of it because it's incredibly flat. Tons of people praying. Zoom out. You can see the entire United States. Some of the other parts of the world. Go out even further. Escape the atmosphere itself and look back on the earth. That kind of amazing picture of the earth from the moon that always, you, you always see when Louis Armstrong is singing What a Wonderful World. Look at that realize there are billions of people that I know every detail about. And there's millions of them that are praying to me. And I hear every prayer, including yours. Backstage, panicking and freaking out. 
And in that moment, all of a sudden, it felt like just this peace came over me. I was still like on the verge of a trigger of a panic attack. But the most amazing thing was, I was like, I am, God knows me, and he hears me, and he gets me. I can't explain this to other people, but God understands it, and he loves me. And all of a sudden, it was like, it's going to be okay. I am not alone in my fear. In the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, why am I going to fear no evil? Because he is with me. See, because at the beginning of the whole psalm, it starts off with the shepherd. Jesus himself identified himself as the good shepherd. And then the good shepherd, he describes himself as this way. Shepherds in the daytime, when, when everything's light, the sheep are just ping-ponging around and it's like eating. But at nighttime, the shepherd, that's when he starts getting active. When it's difficult to see, he's, he's walking around and he's using his rod to help get, he's not hitting the sheep. He's using his rod to get his sheep back out of danger. And, and, and Jesus even uses the, the analogy of when one sheep goes off and, and just leaves the grid and is lost and endangered. He leaves the 99 other sheep to pursue the one. And if you're a Christian, that's you. He did that for you. And if you're not a Christian and you feel so alone, you are not alone in your fear. And there's a shepherd who's good who's pursuing you right now. And he wants to bring you home. You're not alone in your fear. As a Christian, I understand that I'm not blindsided by fear, which thank God for that. I'm not, I'm not alone in my fear. And thirdly, off this same verse, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That informs me that my fear is where God does some of his best work. Check this out. Again, after I came out on stage and I, I, I was able to, to leave uh, the back room of, of, the, of, the, of the worship center and I'm preaching, all of a sudden, right in the middle of the, of the sermon, I feel the panic attack, panic attack kind of coming back up. It's like, and just ramps up. And all of a sudden, it was like, I said, I just, I'm like, Lord, seriously, how, how long am I going to have to deal with this? Why are you, why are you doing this? Like, you have the capacity to heal me, and you're not. For you, it's like no problem. And you're like, I'm going to still let him have this. Why? What possible use is this to you for me to go through this? And the next week, I didn't tell anyone about this, because again, it's super weird to say, hey, I've got a broken brain. I didn't tell anyone about that. But all of a sudden, my, my, my phone starts ringing, and my, my email starts getting flooded with different people who say, I just need to talk with someone because no one else can relate to me. Now, you, that, that's a human condition. We all can understand that. But when the, the appointments actually were set up, and I'm actually sitting in my office, or I'm actually talking with someone in the atrium, all of a sudden, the people are saying, nobody understands me, and you're going to look at me like I'm an idiot, but I have anxiety all the time. And things spike and all of a sudden I have panic attacks and I don't know what to do. I'm like, me too. I do too. And they're like, well, you do? You're a pastor. I'm like, I know. Like, but doesn't God love you more? Yeah, totally. But I still have this. <laughs> this happens to me. And I can't, I can't, but now all of a sudden and in that moment and in the subsequent moments, I, I'm not lying to you. I hate panic attacks. I hate anxiety. It's like the worst. When you can't control your mind, I can control this. But I can't control this. It's just, it's awful. But in that moment, I realized, God, thank you. Thank you for not taking that away. Thank you for that being a constant threat on the verge of my brain. Because I was able to use that in this person's life. And all of a sudden, the fear 
and the panic in the attack started to dissipate. It was like the venom was taken out of the snake. My fear is where God does some of his best work in you and through you. Um, this is what Paul says. Paul says, praise be, this is so cool. You got to check this out. Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us. Okay, now this is huge. Like if you're, in, you're afraid, you're going through fear, but, and you need, you want, I just want to know God's going to help me out. Great. Check out how God works out his comfort for you. Who comforts us in all of our troubles, say it with me, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Let me say this again. God comforts us in all of our troubles, not just because he loves you. He does. He loves you. But it's not just that. God comforts you in your troubles so that you who are not blindsided anymore by fear, you who recognize that you are not alone in your fear, are able to go to someone else and bring the comfort that you were given from God to them. Right now, you're in that moment. You have a role and a responsibility. If you have a family, it's part of your job there. If you're a kid, it's part of your job just being a kid around your siblings. That we're actually to recognize that my fear is where God could do some of his best work in me and through me. This is what, um, uh, th this was phenomenal. Foreignpolicy.com, just two days ago, this guy named Lyman Stone this secular magazine, it's not a Christian magazine, but they're identifying how Christians have responded to pandemics throughout history. And, and he goes all the way back to the early 100s. He says, the Christian response to plagues begins with some of Jesus' most famous words, famous teachings, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Greater love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. But plainly, the Christian ethic in a time of plague, considers that our own life must always be regarded as less important than that of our neighbor. It was two days ago. Two days ago that came out. And, and Lyman goes through like, like human history, where all, where all of a sudden we see Christians step up in times of, of struggle like this, not by freaking out, but by being proactive. Um, the Antonine Plague in, in the 100s, um, the second century AD, 25, they believe 25% of the Roman Empire died. A quarter of the Roman Empire died. And in this time, Christianity started to spread like the plague. You know why? Because Christians were the ones who were not running away from the sick, but they were caring for them. Christians were not the ones who were trying to find a way to end the life of people who were problematic and possibly contagious, but actually finding ways to love and take care of them. Fast forward. You jump um, to the 200s, and you have the plague of, this, of Cyprian, which was probably Ebola. Um, they're not totally sure, but they believe that it probably was Ebola. And they found that in Christian communities, communities where there were large populations of Christians, there was 50% less people who died than in other communities. Why? Because Christians were actually caring. They, they had this perspective that was this. We have a lot of people we're losing. There's people in our family who are dying, but we can't spend time mourning the dead. We have to double down our efforts to go and help the people who are still in, in, in a bad situation. And 100 years after this, the pagan emperor pointed back to the fact that he couldn't understand why these Galileans, that was like their slur for Christians, these Galileans wouldn't just care for other Christians. They cared for Christian and pagan alike, without discrimination, without prejudice, without fear, even at the cost of some of their own life. Jump to the 1500s with the plague. 
You have Martin Luther who writes up whether Christians should flee the plague. And, and the plague is going through everywhere. And, and the kind of the MO was this, run away, run away. Like, get away from this situation. And Martin Luther writes a tract whether Christians should flee the plague. And in it, he says this. He says, this is our articulation of the Christian epidemic response. We die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them into crosses on which we must be prepared to die. It was interesting because Luther was like, he, he said, listen, as Christians, we need to be the type of people that are recognizing that we need to listen to science and we also need to be op operating faithfully. He, he, the, the, the way to mitigate the plague at the time was fumigation. And so he was like, listen, we need to take those measures. He said, use medication, take prudent measures, and faithfully trust in the provident care of God. It's not one or the other. As Christians, we should be the people that are listening to the radio and listening to find out what we should be doing. Part of the, the, the thing that we've done this weekend is to try to mitigate, to make sure that, that we are in congruence with our governor's restriction on groups 250 or more, which I'm so grateful for those of you who stayed at home who are tuning in right now and those of you who showed up and were, in, were under that capacity. But it's, it's, it's trying to do the best of both of those, those realities. I'm not alone in my fear. And my fear is where God does some of his best work. If you jump to the 1940s, right after World, after World War II, you have the threat of atomic warfare. That was something that freaked everyone out, everyone out after the atomic bomb was dropped. It was like, they're going to drop the atomic bomb on us. And C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote this. Um, actually, I don't have what he wrote. <laughs> uh, but basically, he said this. He says, as if the atomic bomb drops, let it drop with us doing what makes most sense as human beings. Loving our families, caring for the needy, having a pint over darts with friends, giving our kids baths. If the atomic bomb drops, let it not drop on us, finding us fearing about atomic bombs dropping. Let it drop on us as humans who are reflecting our savior. He said, um, you know, atomic, it takes a lot less than an atomic bomb to end our life. He said a microbe can do that, but let it not dominate our minds. And that, that advice is something that we need to hear and understand today. I will not fear. I will fear no evil for you are with me. My fear is where God does some of his best work. And, and so just as, as we're going out from here, let us do this. If you're at home, you have neighbors. Us in here, we have neighbors. And some of our neighbors are not as resourced as you. Make sure they're taken care of. If you have something they need, make sure you are the one that is providing it first and foremost. If you have a neighbor who doesn't have a family, make sure you're checking in on them and making sure that they're taken care of. If, you, if we have elderly people that are in our community, make sure that we're watching out for them. Husbands and wives, cut each other some slack. Everyone's going to be really strained out and stressed out right now. This is going to be a time that's going to be very, very easy for all of us to be like just one second away from exploding. Give each other some grace. If your spouse is not the best version of themselves right now, take a deep breath. Don't react. Be an agent of grace. Um, if you are an elementary school kid, if you could raise your hand if you're in elementary. Okay, keep your hands up. If you are a middle school kid, if you could raise your hand. Okay, if you are a junior higher or a high schooler, if you could raise your hand. Okay, 
And college students who are home, if you could raise your hand. Okay. Thank you. Put your hands down. If you're at home with your parents, your parents are crazy. True? It doesn't take a lot for them to like overreact. And you're like, what did, what did I do? Like, what did I say? Like, I'm just, come on. During this time especially, don't unleash crazy town. Instead, recognize your parents are unstable at best. <laughs> Out of your love for Jesus, listen to them. If they tell you to do something, you're like, are you serious? Like, how, just, like so just do it. You and your siblings are going to be home for way too long. <laughs> and you're gonna, it's going to go from this is the best snow day to I hate my siblings. Real quick. Give each other some grace. Let them go first. Have an after you perspective. And when you start to become the worst version of yourself, apologize. In this, we will see that our fear, this, this ugly thing that we wish wasn't here, but it's here, we can't escape it, can become some of the best place where God does some of his best work in us. Church, we have an opportunity not to live in fear, but to respond to our fear without freaking out. Let us do so as a people of the way. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus today, let this be the catalyst for you to turn to him. What I'd like to do is I'd like us to close by us reciting this one, that one focus part together. If you could stand. And at home, why not? Just go ahead and stand while we go ahead and read this together as a church, as Mission Bible Church, a church that is aiming to bring the, mis the mission of the great news of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, not just to our families, not just to our church, but to our neighborhoods, to our community, and maybe to the uttermost parts of our world. Let's go ahead and read this together. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray over the people at home, um, Lord, who are gathered with their families or just uh, around a device. Lord, I pray for the people in this room, God. We are one church. God, you've called us into this time. This didn't, certainly did not blindside you. And any one of these moments, God, is our opportunity to live surrendered to you. In spite of the fact that we may feel, God, that we are in the, the valley of the shadow of death, God, may we be the people who are fearing no evil not because we're delusional, not because we don't think that we can contract this, but because we know that we have peace that even defies death. God, may, may we be the people who are operating out of love and care for one another. God, that we are listening to the news, but we're doing so without panic, that we can be the hope within our communities, within our families, within this country, within this world. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, anyone here who, who honestly, just up to this point, they just been, have been doing church or, or living out just being a good person, but they desperately need someone who could take care of their sin issue, breaking apart the relationship between you and them. They're this side of peace. God, I pray that in this moment, they simply surrender to you and put their trust in what you did on the cross to bridge away between them and you. They'll ask you to forgive their sins. They'll ask you to be the leader of their life. And I'll ask you for the peace that only you can bring. 
And God, when we see that, when we see the effect of that in ourselves and the people we love around us, may we be the people that are giving you the thanks and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 You are dismissed. God bless.